earlier, and, and on the anniversary of 9-11, I thought about all the people that lost their lives in those buildings, at the Pentagon, and in the crash. In the time right after 9-11, one organization became very important. It's called Big Brothers Big Sisters. Y'all know what that is, right? Big Brothers Big Sisters is an organization which pairs adults with children who don't have um, either parents or don't have older brothers, older sisters, and they don't have that positive role model. So uh, as I was reading the passage this week, I was trying to look at, Lord, what does this passage have to say to us? And of course, being the week of 9-11, when so many lives, 3,000 lives were lost, and so many children suddenly had no parents or they had no family members that had been taken away from them, I said this, everyone needs a role model, and you need to be that person. I firmly believe that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to be the role model that everybody in the world wishes was their big brother or big sister. How's that for a weighty responsibility to drop on your shoulders? You know, the thing is this, the world needs proper role models. Look on TV, what kind of role models do we have? We have drunken, drug-addicted singers, actors, actresses, people who spend more time getting married and getting divorced than they do actually doing their job of acting or singing. It's really a sad thing when our young people look up and they have posters in their room of people that, that are actually no better than half the felons in federal prison. I mean, our athletes consistently come out and they, they get paid millions of dollars to play a child's game and we idolize them and worship them and yet behind the scenes, some of them are the most despicable people in the world. Alcoholics, drug addicts, they beat their wives, they beat their children, they beat their husbands. I mean, these are people who, who don't pay their taxes. They, they, they live extraordinary lives and they think that they don't have to answer to anybody. But here's the thing. We all answer to the generation behind us. Amen? Every child in this church should be able to look at you and go, you are what I want to be when I grow up. You are the kind of woman, you are the kind of man that I want to be. I want to have your attitudes. I want to copy your actions. I want to act and look just like you. Isn't that a terrifying thought? That's the thought that a pastor lives with every day of his life. I am supposed to be what I want you to become. Now, not in all the fine details, because you really don't want to be like me. It's, it's an interesting life. But in my attitude toward Christ and in the way I pursue him passionately, I wish that we all had that same drive and desire. Let's take a look at this morning. 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4. 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4, talking of big brothers, big sisters, talking about being role models, every believer should take it upon themselves to set the standard, to set the standard for Christian behavior. You may think that the pastor is the standard. No. You may think that Noel, as a worship leader, is the standard. No. You may think Brother Ed, as a presider, sets the standard. No. You set the standard for Christian behavior for everybody around you. The old saying is true. You might be the only Jesus some people see. This is what the Word of God says, 1 Peter 5, beginning of verse 1. Therefore, as a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of the Messiah, and also a participant in the glory about to be revealed, I exhort the elders among you, shepherd God's 
flock among you, not overseeing out of a compulsion, but freely, according to God's will, not for the money, but eagerly, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Can I get an amen from the church? Now, of course, of course, Peter is writing to the elders in the church. Who are the elders in the church? That's all of you. You know why you're the elders in the church? Because those kids are younger than you. Elder, you know what it means? Old people. You know what we are? Old people. Now, some of us are older than the others, but we're all old people. There's no 10-year-olds in here. Well, some babies don't count. Anyways, here's the thing. The elders in the church were the ones who were teaching the truth, teaching the gospel to the next generation. When I was young, you always looked up to your grandparents, amen? Grandma and grandpa, that was, that was the standard in your home. And your mommy and daddy would point to grandma and grandpa and say, look at your grandparents. Look what they suffered. Look what they went through. Look what they endured. My grandfather was a coal miner. On top of that, he was half Cherokee Indian. And back in the day, that was not a good thing. So here's a coal miner. The house belonged to the company. The food belonged to the company. The store belonged to the company. If you love country music, you know what I'm talking about. You got a paycheck from the company. You had to turn around and give it back because you lived in their house, ate their food, shopped in their stores. It was slavery. It was modern slavery. That's exactly what my grandparents endured. But they got out of the coal mines when the walls collapsed and my grandfather broke his back. But my grandfather never let that stop him. He walked on two canes the rest of his life. You could arm wrestle that man, he would beat you every time. He couldn't walk, but he could sure take you down. He had strong arms. And my grandfather would tell you, son, a broken back is no reason to sit on your behind. So my grandfather had no tolerance for people that didn't get out and work for a living. You know? And this is what it says. Therefore, as fellow elders and witnesses to the sufferings of the Messiah, remember, this is Simon Peter. He had seen Jesus beaten. He had seen Jesus torn up by the flails. He had seen the flesh hanging off him in strips. He had seen his bones exposed. He had seen Jesus so badly beaten he could barely be recognized. Peter saw the sufferings of Jesus. And now he himself was suffering the persecution of the Jews and witnesses of the sufferings of the Messiah, and also a participant in the glory about to be revealed. When Jesus comes back, we reign with him. Amen? You do realize that, don't you? When the rapture comes, we go out. Do you know why the church goes up first? Because in Jewish culture, whenever the bridegroom would come, the bridesmaids would go out to greet him, carrying lamps. They would light his way back to the wedding feast. They were just an escort. When we get raptured, we are an escort to escort the Messiah, the king of the earth, back to his throne. What a blessing. We get to be bridesmaids. And I don't even have to wear an ugly, you know, purple dress. It's a great deal. If you've ever been a bridesmaid, you know what that joke's about. Because bridesmaids always get the ugly dresses. You know why? Because the bride doesn't want you looking better than her. That's why you get an ugly dress. Anyways. We participate in the glory about to be revealed. So that I exhort the elders among you. Notice this is not just the pastor. This is not just the pastor. This is everybody old enough to set the standard and set the example. Here's the funny thing. You might be in your 20s, 
you are an elder to the children who are three, four, and five. Isn't that cool? What a responsibility. Shepherd God's flock. Think about this. What does a shepherd do? Okay, a shepherd guides the sheep to pasture. He takes them to the place where the food is. That's what I do on Sunday morning. I take you to the place where the food is. The shepherd also protects people. When I hear about lies on television, when I hear false pastors preaching false doctrine, I'm going to expose that. I'm going to tell you this is a lie and this is a lie. There are those who believe that everybody goes to heaven. Guess what? That's a lie. There's a, a church that teaches that Allah is just another name for God. That's a lie. It's not. And here's the last lie. Jesus died for everybody, so everybody goes to heaven. Nope. Not all roads lead to Jesus. There's only one path to heaven, and that's through his death, burial, and resurrection. So my job is to expose you, to protect you from the lies of false pastors. Also, he cares for the sheep. When someone's in the hospital, I will go. But you know what? Very soon we're going to have deacons in this church. You know what the deacon's job is, brother? The deacon's job is to watch over the people assigned to him. Now, every shepherd had under-shepherds. That's how they could take care of a large flock. The shepherd was in the area. The under-shepherd took this group here, this group here, that group there, just like we have home groups. The under-shepherd's job was to do the shepherd's job in the place where he was. When deacons come in, the first person you call is the nearest deacon because he can get there faster than anybody else. Then when the situation's bad, he calls me and I show up. Or I'll be there the next day anyways because I want to see you. To care for the sheep is the job of the elders of the church. Every one of you men who is over the age of 30, and that's most of you, well, you, you don't count. If you're over the age of 30, you need to be caring for those around you. You need to be saying, sister, you look a little burdened today. Can I pray with you? When we were here on Tuesday night, we had about 12 or 14 people. We had the chance to shepherd each other, to care for each other, to pray for each other. It's not just the pastor's prayers that God hears. God hears all prayers offered in the name of Jesus. Amen? Do you believe that? Do you believe God hears your prayers like he hears my prayers? You should, because the word of God teaches that. What else does the shepherd do? The shepherd rescues the sheep. When they wander off, the shepherd goes and gets them. Now, here's the thing. You know what a shepherd's crook is? Remember that big stick with the hook on the top, the one that the pope carries? He stole that from the shepherds. You know what the crook is for? The crook is for the little lamb over here that fell down in the crack. Shepherd reaches down, can't reach him. You know what he does? He takes the crook. He reaches down, he hooks it under the head, and he pulls it out. He also uses that crook to whack it on the head when it's going the wrong direction. Sometimes the pastor's going to whack you on the head. And it's not because I'm mean, it's just because I love you. I really do. I need to get me a shepherd's crook and just carry it on Sunday mornings so y'all get the picture. Shepherding the flock cannot be done by one man. It has to be done by all of the elders of the church, by all the grown men who have two eyes and two ears and know the word of God. If we are shepherding this church together, then we can reach much further than one man can reach alone, amen? Ladies, you're not off the hook. You are not off the hook. Now, listen to this. Then in verse 3, it says this. Don't lord over those entrusted to you, but be examples. Now, over here in 1 Timothy 5, 1 and 2, it says this. Don't rebuke an old man. 
exhort him as a father. It means build him up, encourage him. If a man older than you is doing something that's not quite right, don't shame him or point your finger at him or make him feel bad, but encourage him as you would encourage your father. As my dad got older in life, as he got into his late 70s and early 80s, he started to do some silly things. He started to say some silly things. He stopped wearing his pants. He did. He kind of forgot to put them on. But you couldn't yell at my dad because he wouldn't understand that. But you could encourage him. And you could love him in spite of the fact that you'd go to the house and he'd be sitting there butt naked in the chair. Dad, put some clothes on, brother. Seriously. You know? And you couldn't say because you were embarrassing him. You'd say, Dad, you're going to get cold like that. Go put a robe on. You know? And he might take that and do it. That's how we encourage each other. Not by shaming, but by encouraging and extorting them. Come on, man. Step up to the plate with the mighty men on that first, that first Saturday of the month. We are encouraging each other to step up, be better, be stronger, be more than we've ever been before. And we do that by encouraging. But it also says this. It says, now, exhort him as a father. Now, younger men, appeal to them as a brother in the Lord, as someone who's on even ground. Appeal to him as a brother. You know, sometimes it takes a brother, an older brother, to step inside and kind of build you up. Even a younger brother can kick you in the pants and say, hey, you're the older brother, step up, man. You're clearly older than it's dad time. If you're on the same playing field, it's as a brother. Build them up. Now it says this here. You said you should appeal to women, older women, as you would appeal to your mother. That means respectfully, kindly, but honestly. Sometimes, ladies, I may have to tell you something, and you're going to think, young man, who do you think you're talking to? And I'm going to say, I'm talking to my mother because I love her. And I'm going to tell you what you need to hear. But you need to treat each other that way too. Young ladies, just because you're younger than that person doesn't mean you're wrong. If what you're doing is speaking out of the word of God, you are right. And you stand on this word, even if that older woman doesn't want to hear you, because she might be in sin. But here's the thing. What you say is important, but how you say it is also important. You know, if, if that woman is 20 years older than you, 30, I've had to speak to some women that were, they went to school with Moses. And I had to walk up to them and say, sister, I love you. But if you don't quit swearing and cursing about that lady across the room, we're going to have an issue here. And she'll go, well, Pastor, why? She's up. Don't say that. It's not nice. This is another church. It would never happen here. Amen. What? It would never happen here. Just say amen. Make me feel better. Thank you. Okay, it's always another church somewhere far, far away. Now, it says this. Appeal to a younger woman as a young sister in all purity. What's important about this is the attitude that we bring to each other. It says that we are not to lord over those entrusted to us. Just because you're older doesn't mean you're right. And just because you're right doesn't mean you're doing it the right way unless you're doing it God's way out of 1 Timothy 5, 1 and 2. Study that sometime. Check your attitude when you go to talk to somebody. Make sure that you're speaking respectfully and lovingly, encouragingly, and not, not to bring someone down. Now, we've had some examples in this church of people that obviously never read the word of God and thought they would shame people into doing it the right way. You can't shame people into serving God. You understand that? You cannot shame people into serving God, but you can encourage them and you can love them and you can pray for them and you can build them up to the Holy Spirit gets a hold of them and makes them do it. Amen? That's the most important thing. We need to set the standard, not just in what we do, but in how we respond to people. Sometimes people hurt us. 
And sometimes they do it intentionally and sometimes they do it accidentally. What's important is how we forgive and move on and restore the unity of the church. Amen? Most churches get split up not over important doctrines, but over attitudes and hurt feelings. And we want to keep that out of here. Amen? We want to keep focused on the word. Okay, so in setting that example and being that role model, we want to do it a biblical way. Second thing, 1 Peter 5, 5 through 7. We need to follow that standard. We've set the standard now. The standard is Jesus. Now we need to follow that standard. Here it comes. In the same way, you younger men, be subject to the elders. We just talked about that. And all of you clothe yourselves in humility toward one another because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Then in verse 6, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him because he cares about you. That last line is so famous, and we talk about casting all your cares on him because he cares for you. But we take it out of context. Let's look at it. It says, be subject to the elders. This is just like talking about, you know, wives submit to your husbands. Same thing. It's doing what's proper and doing what's respectful and doing what maintains good order in the church and in our families. So it says, be subject to the elders. Young people, you have to put up with us. But don't forget, you're the ones that choose the nursing homes we go into later. Now, don't remind your parents of that because they'll get nervous. But it's the truth. You understand what I mean? They're showing their respect to us. We need to show that respect right on back to them. Okay, clothe yourselves in humility. That's for all of you. Clothe yourselves in humility. Remember, you can be 60 years old and be a babe in Christ. I mean, you can know that much. And you can be 20 or 15. And you can know that much. You can be a spiritual giant. Remember, Timothy, whom Paul wrote to a lot, Timothy was a young man. You know what young man means in the military? In this day, they, they considered your age to be your military worthiness. A young man was anybody under the age of 40. And that should make some of you feel a lot better about life. Because until 40, you could serve in the military. At 40, you were too old to serve in the military, so they kicked you out. That's how it goes. So when it says, he says, don't let anybody look down on you because of your youth. Timothy was not 12. He might have been 35. But compared to everybody else, he was considered a young man. So you couldn't become a prophet. You couldn't become a priest until the age of 30. Because until 30, you were considered unstable. You were considered a kid. Not really ready to step into that responsibility. We know that's not true today. There are some young people in this church, and you just saw them up there. There are some young people in this church that have been touched by the hand of God and they have the ability to serve him because they are both ready, willing, and able. Amen? We need to pray for them that God continues to build them and strengthen them. Amen? So maintain that humility toward one another because God will resist the proud. If you think that you're going to get your way just because you've been doing it longer or just because you're older, you're wrong. Sometimes the younger person is right and you're not. All of us need to remember that sometimes we are wrong. I will tell you as a pastor, sometimes I am wrong. You know, sometimes I have an attitude problem. And sometimes I get stiff-necked. And that's because I'm human. And my, Don't worry. If, if I do something stupid on Sunday morning, my wife will beat it out of me. I mean, she'll talk me through it later. And it'll be okay. You know? But the thing is, we have to stay humble. 
We have to stay teachable to one another. I can learn as much from the youth as they can ever learn from me. And that's what's important. We keep going. Now, verse 6 is important. Humble yourselves. Uh, Proverbs 18.12 says this. Before his downfall, a man's heart is proud, but humility comes before honor. If we want God to honor our families, bless our lives, bless our work, bless our relationships, what do we have to do first before God blesses? Be humble before him. You know how when the devil gets in your face, you know, it says you need, you need to resist the devil? Did you ever read that verse carefully? It says, submit to God, then resist the devil. You know why? You can't resist the devil until you've submitted to God. Submission is hard, especially for men. Men, I hate to say that, but we just, we just don't humble ourselves very well. I mean, we say it on the outside, but we don't think it on the inside. Ladies, and I know all Filipino women are very submissive and very mild and calm and meek. And Jesus doesn't kill us for lying, so it's okay. Okay, anyways. But the important thing is this. Sometimes culturally, women are taught to dominate the family. But I tell you this, do you want your family blessed? Let your man lead. Men, if they give us the privilege, we better exercise some authority and get it done. Amen? We need to show ourselves worthy of our wives' submission. And the more worthy of it we are, the more easily they can submit to us. I say that because... The church is only as strong as the marriages in it. If the marriages grow weak, the church grows weak because the foundation is in what God is doing in husband, wife, and children. Now, if you're a single person, remember what I said a couple weeks ago, you're not off the hook. Single people have that freedom to do even more because they're not tied up with other things. So there's always something for you to do. Therefore, a man's downfall, before a man's downfall, his heart is proud. Humility comes before honor. We have to do that. We have to keep ourselves humble. Then go to the bottom. It says this, so that he may exalt you at the proper time. Ooh, God is going to exalt us. He is going to put us in a place high. I told you, when Jesus comes back, we come back with him. And we come back to reign over this earth. For that thousand years that Christ is here, we come to reign with him. That's when we get the honor that we want in this life. You don't get it in this life. You get it in the life to come. Isn't that a blessing? Finally, this, casting all your cares on him because he cares about you. What does it mean to cast your cares? We all quote this verse. We love this one. Hey, don't worry about that job situation. Uh, don't worry about that sick child. Cast all your cares on him because he cares about you. What does that mean? I had to look it up. The word cast means to throw away or disregard. Think about your life right now. What is the one thing that preoccupies your mind? What is the one thing that bothers you, worries you, keeps you awake at night? What is the thing that tears you up? I'll tell you what it is. It's the word care in this verse. And the word care is the word distraction. You ever notice when God's about to do something, your life gets distracted? You either have a fight with your wife, you fight with your children, you have trouble at work, you have a car accident. I don't know, the bills go up, whatever. Satan's only tool, Satan's only tool to keep you from worshiping God is to distract your mind, to put your attention on some other earthly physical thing that keeps you away from focusing 
on who God is, what God is doing, and your place in the kingdom. If you read that, it says, throw off and disregard any distractions in your life. Talking to a young man the other day, right here in Raleigh, North Carolina, and he said, there's this girl I know, and I said, oh, we're going to have trouble already. And he says, he says, I want to do everything I can to please her. I said, son, don't do that. You don't want to do that. A, she's not your wife. And B, she can't be the center of your life. Gentlemen, I'm going to give you a pass. Your wife cannot, must never be the most important thing in your life. Otherwise, you are an idolater. Do you understand me? Ladies, don't ask to be the most important thing in your husband's wife or you are an idolatrous. Because his most important thing must be to serve a holy God. Now God's going to call him to love you, take care of you, nurture you, build you up, correct you when you're wrong, and lead you in the path you need to go. Gentlemen, every married man is a shepherd. First of your wife, and then of your family, if God gives you one. But understand this, the sheep have to trust the shepherd. Which means the shepherd has to be consistent, he has to be always about the task of the shepherd. Shepherding is your most important role in life. Remember, you take care of your family, you take care of your marriage, and everything else will start to fall into place. Don't ever put the church first. I know a lot of pastors who are as stupid as the day is hot because they make the church the primary concern of their life. And I've seen all those pastors, all but a few, wind up in divorce court. You know why? Because you don't live with the church. You're not married to the church. You're married to your wife. and She better be your most important concern. You will find I lean heavily on men. I believe in a marriage, 90% of the trouble in a marriage is the man. Sorry, excuse me for quoting facts. Because here's the thing. Women have the ability to disrupt a marriage, but only a man can make good marriage. You can't change men. Men are what they are. You married them, it's your fault. Gentlemen, I'm telling you, only you can make a good, strong, solid marriage by accepting this responsibility, humbling yourselves, casting off the concerns of your pride, of your desires for self-aggrandizement. You want to make yourself important. You want to make your business grow. You want to make a lot of money. And in the process, you destroy your walk with Christ and you sacrifice your marriage. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. Proverbs says this, Let your eyes look forward. Fix your gaze straight ahead. Carefully consider the path for your feet and all your ways will be established. Don't turn to the right or to the left. Keep your feet away from evil. Proverbs 4.25. Proverbs 4.25. You want to chart a good course for your business, for your marriage, for your relationship with your kids, for your life, for your ministry in church? It's Proverbs 4.25. Fix your eyes straight ahead. On who? On Jesus. Why? Jesus will lead you through the minefield of life. But if you're not looking at Jesus, if you're listening to this distraction and that distraction, if you're listening to this voice and that voice, if you're obsessed with this thing and that thing, you're looking to the left and the right, and you're not looking at where you're supposed to be going. Have you ever started walking in a straight line, and then you turn your eyes to the side? You know what happens to your, to your stride? You will turn where your eyes are. 
You can be walking straight ahead, but if you shift your gaze to the side, without even knowing it, you will turn your feet to where your eyes are. Where your eyes are is where your path will be. That's why he says, set your eyes straight ahead of where you're going. Carefully consider the path of your life. Don't do something because it's a great business opportunity. Carefully consider what it means to your family, what it means to your walk with God, what it means to your life. Deuteronomy 31, 7 and 8 says this, Moses then summoned Joshua and said to him on the side of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you will go with this people into the land that the Lord swore to give to their fathers. You will, be in, you will enable them to take possession of it. The Lord is the one who will go before you. That's it. The Lord goes before you. You are the leader, but you go where God leads you. This is really a charge to pastors right here. But I think it is a charge to all people in the church. If we're going to set and follow the standard, the standard has to be Jesus. Not what my friends think, not what my culture thinks, not the way we did it back in Washington State or Montana or Texas or the Philippines. It has to be what God is doing here and now through his word. And I firmly believe churches lose focus when they get their eyes off where God is going and they put it on some other standard that somebody brings up. All right, let's finish up. 1 Peter 5, 8 through 14. 1 Peter 5, 8 through 14. Now we're doing this. We've set the standard. We're, we're following that standard. Now we're going to watch over each other. We need to watch over each other. <clears throat> it says this. Be serious. It means sober-minded, thinking clearly. Be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him and be firm in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. Now the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus, will personally restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered a little bit. The dominion belongs to him forever. Amen. I have written you this brief letter through Silvanus, I know him to be a faithful brother, to encourage you and to testify that this is the true grace of God. Take your stand on it. The church in Babylon, also chosen, sends you greeting, as does Mark, my son. Not his real son, his son in the Lord. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. That's how he finishes the letter. We've now finished 1 Peter. But look at this. Look how he ends. He's been talking chapter after chapter about suffering, about what the world does, about how the grief that the world brings on us. And now he's talking about our responsibilities to set a standard for each other. And he said that we need to follow that standard. And now we need to watch over each other. He says, be alert. This is the same command given to soldiers who are on guard duty. It says, keep your eyes open. Stay awake. Every soldier knows when you're walking guard duty, that is the most dangerous time because you're doing the most mundane thing. You're walking, 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 pacing. If you've ever done guard duty, it's horrible because you never stop walking. You just keep walking. And you're walking across the same dirt, back and forth, back and forth, or you're walking a perimeter. And you know what's terrible about that? When you do the same thing over and over again, what happens to your mind? You get bored. When you get bored, what happens? You stop looking. And when you stop looking, that's when the enemy is going to zap you. The most dangerous thing about guard duty is you get numb in the brain. The Christian life is like that. You get up every Monday, you go to work. You get up every Sunday, you go to church. You get up every Monday, you go to work. Your life becomes, becomes a routine. It becomes a rut. You stop looking and you just do things by memory. 
But that's when your life loses its power, loses its intensity. That's when we get weak, when we're not watching. That's why he says, be serious, be alert. Keep looking at what's all going on around you. So the devil is prowling. Interesting, the word prowling is what an animal does when it's starving. This word means literally to be occupied or obsessed with an activity. So the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. Satan is consumed with the thought of destroying you. He wants to destroy your life. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy your children. He wants to destroy your business. He wants to destroy your church. Satan never ceases from seeking to destroy you. You ever had an enemy? Enemies are terrible things. You know why? Because if you're not trying to get them, they're trying to get you. And if you don't get them first, they get you. That's what an enemy is. An enemy is someone who seeks to kill you. My brother was in Vietnam during the height of the war. You know what he experienced? Everyone's an enemy. Everybody is an enemy. Because if you don't see an enemy in every person, you wind up dead. That's what he learned in Vietnam. Terrible lesson to bring back to civilian life. But consider this. Satan will never cease to want to destroy you. So if you stop fighting, stop looking, stop growing, stop reading, he's going to get you. He's going to wait for that one weak moment when your mind goes numb, and he's going to trip you up. That's what the devil does. That's how he works. Verse 9 says, resist him. This means to actively oppose. You don't just wait till the devil attacks you and then do something. You need to fight him constantly. You know how you do that? You stay in the word. You stay in prayer. You stay actively sharing your faith. You keep yourself in motion. Now, when you were all young and you went to school, you had PE all the time, right? You go out, you run, you play basketball, you go swimming, whatever. As soon as you get out of school and there's no more PE, how many people keep going out and, and playing basketball and running? And how many of us look the same today that we did at 17? I know I don't. Okay? It's easy when the pressure's off to just let everything go. And it all goes. It's true. So it's why it says to stay actively involved in resisting the devil by strengthening your mind and by doing the things that Christ sent you to do. If you're constantly sharing your testimony, if you're constantly praying, you're constantly reading, then Satan has no way to sneak up on you because you're constantly prepared for him. And then he says this. <clears throat> he says that um, now, the, now the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus will personally, he gives four words here. I love these four words. He says he will restore you. That means to make repairs. You ever been hurt by somebody in church? You ever been hurt by a comment, hurt by a remark, hurt by something that somebody said? It is Jesus that repairs the damage. Maybe when you got saved, you came out of a very destructive lifestyle. Maybe you were an unbeliever for 20 or 30 years, and you had damaged your body, you had damaged your mind. Maybe you were a believer, and you started backsliding. You let jealousy, envy, backstabbing, gossiping, all those things get into your life, and for years, you built that bitter root in your life. Even though you're a born-again believer, you let bitterness get so deep in you, suddenly, you found no joy in serving Christ. You know, a psychiatrist can't help you. Self-help can't help you. Books can't help you. You know what can help you? This God who will personally restore, meaning make repairs to your life. If you go to him, he can make repairs to that bitterness in your heart to that anger and that fury that sits in there and dwells and builds up. 
Also, it says he will establish you. This makes make a firm foundation. You ever had a crack in the foundation of your house? It's a terrible thing. Unless you call an expert and they come and they put that foundation back together and they relay it and they strengthen it. That's what he does. He reestablishes our foundation on the word. Also says to strengthen. This means to give bodily vigor or to build the muscles again. I mean, I would love to be what I was in college. I was a weightlifter. I was, you know, I was doing weights and all that good stuff. I was in great shape back then. I was 175 pounds. I would love to be restored to that bodily vigor. Got news for you. My age, that ain't going to happen. But spiritually, spiritually, he can strengthen me to do all the things I need to do in Jesus Christ. To have the attention, to have the strength, to have the love, to have that power to do all those things. And finally, it says to, to support us. This means to settle all those issues from the past. To settle all those things that keeps us turned upside down. Settle our job. Settle our marriage. Settle our relationships. To bring all that stability. And only God can do that. But he does it through his grace and through his mercy. Now James 4, 4 says this. James 4, 7 and 8. Therefore submit to God, but resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Today, can you honestly say that you feel the close, abiding presence of Jesus Christ in your life? Do you feel it today? If we are supposed to watch over each other, the first thing we have to do is watch over ourselves. You know, one of the ways they would conquer an enemy in the Middle Ages is they would sneak in in the middle of the night and they would take a diseased animal and they would throw it in the well of their enemies. You know why? Because when, when you went to draw water and you pulled up that dead animal you would know that your water was contaminated, it was polluted. The only way to do anything about it was to go get clean water. Well, you know what? If you look in your own heart and there's no peace, there's no settledness, you find some brokenness, you find a lack of energy, a lack of vigor, a lack of passion, the only way you can get that right is by going back to the one who can both repair, uh, settle the foundation, give you the strength, confer that power. And that can't be done through a pastor or a church or a worship service. It can only be done through a one-on-one -on -one relationship with Jesus Christ. So I ask you, have you drawn near to God this week so that you could be strengthened? Have you drawn close to Christ in prayer and in confession of sin? Sometimes we confess our sins to our best friends when we know they're not going to convict us of it. But if we go to Christ and we confess our sins, he is going to convict us. We're going to feel that sting, but that sting is healing, you know. I always love little kids when, you, when they got a cut, you know. Mommy, is this going to hurt? Oh, no. Psh, ah! Of course it hurts. Hurting is healing, right? We don't want them to know that until after it's done. Anyways, so let's get to work on this. Let's finish it up. Three things. One, I am, I am to set the standard for Christian conduct. In this church, I want every one of us to say, I am going to set the standard for Christian conduct. Not the pastor, it's not his job to set the standard. My job is to set the standard. I will be the standard in my house. I will be the standard for my wife. I will be the standard for my kids. I am the standard. I am the standard at work. If they want to know what a Christian looks like, they're going to look at me because I am to set the standard. That is my job. Nobody in here is four years old except for the baby. So you can't, you can't pass it off to somebody else. You be that standard. You say, if you want to know what Christianity looks like, look at me. Now, to do that, you're going to have to really get to work on yourself. Because second, I should be learning from those who do it better than me. We never stop learning. 
I'm always learning from other people who've been in ministry, other pastors. I'm looking at them. I'm learning from them. I'm talking to them to figure out how to do this better, to be a better pastor. Because I have never settled the question, what does it mean to be a pastor? That question haunts me every day. What does it mean to be a shepherd? What does it mean to be a pastor? And I never want to settle that question. You know why? If I settle that question, I'll stop striving to be better than I am. And that's not what Christ calls me to do. He calls me to continually push in on him. Third, I must watch over other believers. If one goes down, if one believer goes down, it hurts the whole church. You know, somebody makes a mistake. We need to rally around them, bring them back, strengthen them, encourage them, build them up, love them. Because the stronger every one of us is, the stronger the church will be. Amen? A lot of people died in 9-11. 3,000 people. A lot of children were left without mom, dad, brother, sister. But a lot of people stepped into those communities. A lot of people stepped in that community and said, you know what? You lost your dad, I will be a dad to you. You lost your mom, I will be a mom to you. You lost your big brother, I will be a brother to you. Or I will be a sister to you. A lot of people stepped up and rallied to these people to help them. But you know what? They stole that from us. We have always been called to be the big brother, to be the big sister that the world needs to lead into Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time. Father, thank you for this place that you've given us. God, I praise you that you have given us the chance, Lord, to see the standard in Jesus Christ. And Father God, I pray that we will, we will make ourselves up to that, to, uh, to setting the standard, Father God, that we will see ourselves called as elders to, 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 do, to do more, to be more, to shepherd not just our children and our families, but our, our small home church groups and, and our, our church and, and to those who are around us. Father, help us to take on that task of being shepherds, of being leaders. And Father, help us to, to obey that standard. Help us to be humble. Help us to be teachable, Father God. Help us to let you lift us up in the fullness of time. And Father God, when there are distractions in our life, Help us to throw those distractions at your feet and just keep following you. And God, I just pray that when we come to this church, we will not just come here uh, to have somebody love us, that we won't just come here to receive a blessing, Father God, we'll come here to be a blessing. And Lord, I pray that as we seek to be a blessing, that Father God, in some way, we can know that we have done the work you gave us to do and that we are going to be there for you. And Father, I just praise you for the chance to do that. In Jesus' name. You know, as the worship